0: On today's episode of Double Down Trent, we've got a full breakdown of the model. That's right, folks. Aaron is back from the lab, and he is taking a look back at his performance in the 2019 college football season. What did the model learn? What did the man learn from the model? What can the model do better next year? What can we do for you? That's what we're going to do. We're talking about some real serious things like closing line value, algorithms, buzzwords. They're all out there, folks. This is going to be an episode where you're going to learn quite a bit about modeling, analytics, predictive modeling, and how it relates to the gambling world. I had a great time, so Aaron's carrying this episode here. And now, for really no other reason besides the fact that I like it, Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Vin Diesel.
1: What are you smiling about? Dude, I almost had you. You almost had me? You never had me. You never had your car. Double down Trent. You might want to tune in. Talking gambling and sports. Predicting who might win. Pop culture to movies. Let's start up the combo. Ryan and Aaron. Man versus the model. Keep it authentic and it's always live. So competitive. So you know it's always hype. Make sure you subscribe. Trust you don't want to miss. Going all in here on Double Down Trent. Hey, yeah. Double Down Trent. Let's go. This is
0: Double Down Trent. All right, welcome to Double Down, the podcast where two elementary school buddies are talking sports, gambling, and pop culture. My name is Ryan. I am your co-host, as always. Once again, we are joined by my co-host, Aaron, a.k.a. Michael. Air. how are you doing tonight, bud?
1: I am doing great. I'm excited to do a little debrief of the college football season with you. We're going to talk a little bit about the good, a little bit about the bad and a little bit about the ugly. Are you ready for this? A little bit of everything.
0: I love it, man. So we've been putting this off. We've obviously been doing a lot of NFL Here is the playoffs. Well, the Super Bowl is set. This is the kind of bye week. We're going to take a week off from the NFL, and we're finally going to give the listeners what we've been talking about, and that is a full recap of the model. And as you said it, there's been some good, there's been some bad, there's been some ugly. Okay? Oh, yeah. Now – We're going to talk about a few things. Obviously, we had our competition. We had the listeners play along with us, but that's just a little taste of what we do here, especially the model. So we're going to give the listeners a debrief of the model, how you did when there is some real stakes on the line and some stuff that maybe they can take away
1: for next year. I think hopefully there's going to be some little insights, little gems of knowledge in here. I'm not sure where and when, but I think we'll uh, hopefully share some stuff out as we go. But yeah, I think it's been fun. You can think of the man versus model competition as a little appetizer, little hors d'oeuvre, if you will. And then this betting that we've been doing with a machine learning model just on some of the spreads this year has been the full course meal, which we really want to digest and get into to see how we did and what could be better and improved next year.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to recap for the listeners. So in our competition, uh, we typically pick five games per week and we're trying to pick the most interesting uh, best games that people could watch and pay attention to. Um, But some of those lines may not be the most appealing to gamble on. So for our challenge on the year, you finished 39 and 35, which is a strong 53%. I wouldn't call it good. It wouldn't call bad, (laughs) but you're not losing. (laughs) That's right. Now, contrast that to the man. I finished 36 and 38. So I finished below oh, that 50% man. line. And if I could get your your take on this. I noticed one really big thing here is that I got out of the gates hot. And I jumped <laughs> out to a lead. And all of a sudden each week I saw you creeping up 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 till you finally passed me. Now, I don't think that's a coincidence, was it?
1: No. So we'll talk a lot about this, but I had a tale of two halves that in the early part of the season last year, I wasn't using a ton of different data points. I was using a lot of data points, but I added a critical one about halfway through once I felt like my model just wasn't being as accurate as I would like. And then after that, since that point, there was a change starting in week eight of the season. The thing really came on and has been cruising ever since. And I feel like that was one of the things that really led me back as a resurgence in that competition to just be able to barely squeak by you. Okay.
0: Now that makes sense. And actually makes me feel better knowing that I lost, knowing that the model was really behind the scenes learning, which is the (laughs) model's key aspect here. So I guess, uh, I want to start first. Let's look back at how we did the previous year. So 2018, our first year doing the podcast, our first year doing the picks, um, a little different scenario. So let the listeners know. Give them a little recap if they weren't here with us. Uh, what we did in 2018 and how your model uh, came out at the end of the year.
1: Yep. So in 2018 was my first time that I was trying to run a machine learning model to do a little NC football sports betting. Um, I had chosen to prioritize money line, and to see if I could have uh, identify what games were, um, you know, having edge edges just purely based on uh straight up winner and having nothing to do with spread so i had a ton of learning my uh tldr was that i ended up down uh about 3 units um, if we assume you know a thousand dollar bankroll, which we're not going to get into money because it doesn't—it's not important—and um, my overall accuracy was that I was sixty percent accurate on picking straight up money line winners, which is not great. I made about hundred and twenty bets, so that was like seventy-two wins, forty-eight losses. Again, sixty percent. So all in all, I was down overall last year, and uh, needed to find some improvement and seeing if I could come back better this year.
0: Okay, so. That's news to me. 60% of money line winners. Not that good, folks, but not good. Uh, not good. So, we shifted gears in 2019 and we focused on spread bets. So, that's a little more uh, tricky. It's harder to do. And the spread's there to make it a level playing field, right?
1: Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about why I transitioned. So, th- this was one of the things that I learned last year. So, when when these bets come out, they are typically released on Sunday evening for the following week. And when those bets are released, typically what gets released is the spread bet, and the money line gets held for a couple days to allow the spread bets to move around in the market. So let's say if we came up with a fake example of Wake Forest playing NC State, and let's just say that Wake Forest was a favorite of four, um, so they were a minus four favorite over NC State, who was plus four underdog, so the market would manipulate that game and maybe You know, It opened Sunday night, so maybe Monday it would be Wake Forest minus 4.5, and and then maybe by Tuesday it was Wake Forest minus 5. So because the spread of that minus 5 is so highly correlated with the money line, that when the money line would open later in the week, it would be much more accurate because the the spread bet had already changed over the course of the previous couple of days. So they would hold that and only open it up later. So for me, betting money line in 2018, it was much harder for me to find some edges.
0: Okay, that's interesting. And for the listeners, uh, once you focused on spread bets, is it something that you looked at right away once the lines came out? And is that where you get the best advantage?
1: Yeah, so this is something that I still need to do more on. So yes and no is how I'd answer that. So I put the majority of my bets in for this year immediately after the lines opened on Sunday evening. Now I tracked my closing line value on all the bets I made this year. So sometimes I would have great closing line value where I made my bet and then the line would move with me, so my bet was in the best possible point. And at other times, my bet I made my bet and the line would move against me in in that it was even more attractive and I would just didn't time it well. So I had a little bit of both.
0: So Closing line value. We talked about this pre-show. Do you want to jump in right now and tell listeners why that's so important or exactly what that is? Or are we going to hold that off for a little later?
1: Yeah, let's just do it now. So. Okay. Um, Let's go back to that Wake Forest example of Wake Forest minus four. It opens minus four typically is associated with minus 110, um, at least at opening. And then as the market starts to bet into both of those sides, the line will move. So maybe it starts at minus 110 and then goes to minus 112 and then minus 115 and then minus 120. And at some point, it flips up from Wake Forest minus four to Wake Forest minus four and a half. Minus 110, And then if the money keeps coming in at Wake Forest minus 4 or minus 4.5, those odds will continue to go up. So if I had placed my bet immediately when the line opened at Wake Forest minus 4, and then it started ticking up, up, up to minus 4.5, minus 5, I would have gotten positive closing line value because my minus 4 is better, like is more advantageous for me than holding a bet of Wake Forest minus 5 at worse odds. Does that make sense?
0: It makes sense to me. Now, does that apply for NFL, NHL, other sports people may be betting on, or is it specific for college football?
1: Yeah, this is true across a variety of things. So as folks look at closing line value, what's known is that if you can consistently beat the closing line, so if you can consistently make your bets at when the odds are better than where the line closes, you'll typically be a more profitable bet profitable better in the long term, or at least have plus uh, EV, uh, better advantage on your edges. Um, So the whole idea is that if you can identify when the line is going to be the most advantageous for you to get into, then in the long run, you're more likely to be profitable. But it's not a promised thing.
0: So this was year one of you doing spreads, looking at closing line values. How would you say, without giving away your results just yet, How do you think you did with that, being that this was your first year looking at that?
1: Yeah, it was okay. Um, So I tracked all of my closing lines based on the Pinnacle, uh, based on the Pinnacle closing line. And because Pinnacle exists in Europe, it's not a book that I I can use based in the States. Um, So Pinnacle is one of the market makers. So that's one of the ones where I actually really track their closing line. And I think it represents value to me. It's still befuddling to me of I didn't understand at times. So my model would say like, oh, yeah, Wake Forest minus four is a great bet. And then suddenly all this market money would come in on NC State and it would move down to Wake Forest minus three and a half, Wake Forest minus three. And it was going the exact opposite direction that I would have expected. And I still haven't been able to figure out like why some of that stuff happens and why it moves the way it does. And I'd like to learn more about how I can get better at finding when the closing line is actually at its best.
0: So if I may translate that for our listeners, what Aaron is trying to say is he's not yet considered a (laughs) sharp better. He is putting his little toe like a tepid little elephant in the water of being a sharp. But as you said there, how how do these big time gamblers, the sharps, know when to jump on lines? That blows my mind. I hear every week like, oh, money poured in on them. Is there typically a time when that happens?
1: Yeah. Um, So, yes. So, initially, a lot of these guys run the quantitative models. So, that is at least the initial step to say, okay, how do I identify if a line is going to be advantageous to me or not? And then a lot of what happens is that then there's a lot of, uh, you know, you having a pulse on what's happening just in the news in terms of injuries or weather or all these other factors that the model might not take into account that you need to use your human intuition to identify if the the line is actually going to move to your advantage or against you. So you need to time your bet appropriately. But that's also stuff that I'm trying to pick up on that I have by far not mastered yet.
0: Okay. That makes sense to me. Now, what I noticed, uh, and as I said, you were kind of going up in the standings as the year went on. So you oh, got yeah. a tale of two, of two halves, essentially. So let's start with the first half of the season. How would you say the model did
1: huh. the first couple of weeks? <laughs> uh, well, not good, Bob. <laughs> not good. Yeah. So I'm breaking this up into weeks zero through seven. And that translates, I think week seven I have is October 6th. Tw- through October 12th. So you can imagine like, you know, late August to early October. And then my second half is going to be weeks eight through 15, which would translate to like October 13th through December 7th, uh, something like that. So in the first half, I had a model that did not, did not do well. (laughs) So against the spread, I was about 32% accurate. So it was really not good. In order to be somewhat profitable, you probably need to be be looking at at least 55%, maybe somewhere around there, hopefully a little better. So I made about 47 bets where I put down 50 units in those bets. So most of the bets I did was just one unit. And I was down 17 units after those first seven weeks. And Oops, let's hey, just pre- let's just pretend I was doing just to kind of put this in, in you know, to quantify it for people in dollars. Let's just pretend I had a bankroll of a thousand dollars, where one unit was two percent of my bankroll, so twenty bucks. After seven weeks, I would have been down about three hundred and forty-two dollars. Ouch!
0: That's a car payment Ouch. right there.
1: <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> yeah, it and I just couldn't tell what was going on. So this it really led to. Like me trying to think about okay, like what do I need to change in the model to actually see if I can get this going in the right direction? Because, you know, just losing money week over week was just not going to do it. Um, now you and I are both looking at a spreadsheet right now, so you can see that in the first four weeks I had three winner, three weeks where I won, and one week where I was down a little bit, and then come weeks four, five, six, seven, eight. I just had some huge weeks that I was down and I couldn't figure out why things weren't working and it really made me, you know, review and go back to say, okay, I think I need to change some things because I can't just keep continue, you know, flushing money down the toilet here.
0: Now, do you think this uh, is a factor because you're kind of new to the spread game or as maybe what popped into my head is that those weeks uh, schedule really set where the teams are playing their conference rivals yet. There's a lot of kind of unknown, I guess, of who they're playing. Do you think that plays into it at all?
1: Absolutely. I think it does. I think there's a lot more variance at the beginning of a season than what you can expect at the end of the season. So I think a lot of the lines are still, you know, maybe not as accurate in terms of how they're set as they could be toward the end of the year, just because at the end of the year, you know a lot more about a team than you do at the beginning. Yeah. So for example, a Wisconsin who came out just absolutely smoking hot and blew out their opponents in the first four or five weeks. I think they didn't even give up any points. Like coming out of the off season, people didn't think a Wisconsin was going to be that good. And they showed up really showed up early in the season before tailing off toward the end.
0: Yeah. I mean, we should have known that though. That's Wisconsin's model. you <laughs> yeah. got your
1: model. Wisconsin's got Thursday.
0: They do that every <laughs> fucking year. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> um, okay. So you realized something needs to be changed um, without giving it away. What, was the big change that you did that brought you success? Because obviously, we saw it in our competition. You all of a sudden start winning all these games.
1: Totally. So, one of the things that you do in modeling is you can look at something called feature importance. That's basically a really hoity toity smart way of saying, okay, what are the data points that are important to your model to help you predict what you're trying to predict? So, why male models?
0: Yeah, and for the listeners, we're just to clarify, we're not talking about features on human beings that are models here. This is numbers <laughs> and gambling models. Features in numbers.
1: <laughs> That's right. But why male models? You serious? I just I just told you that a moment ago. Right. That's right. So I went back and looked at what are the data points that were being input into my model. And to me, there were a couple of big discrepancies about where I could go back and add some. Uh, data points that I hadn't been using previously, that might help me in the future. So I went back and I did a bunch of more data collection, and essentially redid my model entirely, now that I had that new data. So then for the weeks eight through 15, I was using something totally different than I had previously used. And it was a tail of two halves, because then the model really started showing some value.
0: Now, do you want to reveal to the listeners what that slight change was, or is that a keep it to the chest model protected information?
1: Uh, no, let's do it. So one of the the data point that I added was I added a Vegas opening line historical spread uh, for seasons everywhere from 2018 all the way back to, I think it was 2007. So I was able to collect all that data and put it together and then add it as a training feature into my model. And it was super helpful in then being able to predict what the spread final score of those two teams were and made my model much more accurate than what it was previously when I wasn't using that data point.
0: Well, explain that to me because I'm a little confused. What correlation is there between previous seasons and opening spread lines versus teams this year? I mean, it's all new players. It's all new. You It could be new coaches. How does that correlate?
1: Yeah. So – if you think about, let's just use a single instance of a game as an example, and let's go back to let's go back to the Notre Dame game against Georgia that happened earlier this year. And yep. I think, you know, I think Georgia was a favorite of maybe like six and a half or something, right? Mm-hmm. So Vegas runs their own models in order to set that s- spread of six and a half. And the way Vegas runs their models, like they are some of the best people who do this, and they know their stuff. So what they're basically doing just to simplify, is they're quantifying the talent on one side, Notre Dame. They're quantifying the talent on the other side of Georgia. They're looking at all these other factors in terms of travel, maybe rest, maybe weather, maybe previous quarterback performance, et cetera, et cetera, and coming up with that six and a half. So mm-hmm. you can imagine that six and a half spread that they say is, you know, what is the estimate But that's going to be the, the difference in the final score between those two teams is actually pretty accurate. So for me, who's trying to use data points in order to predict the final spread of the actual games, using that feature as one thing that goes into my model actually really helps reduce the crazy amount of variance that my model had initially in terms of just being off on a lot of games and really hone in on actually making it more accurate in terms of what the final score difference was going to be between the two teams. So are you saying
0: that it essentially finds historical comparisons of teams and spreads and that's kind of seeing what the line movement is. Is that what you're saying? Or am I confused?
1: Yeah. So think of it as, um, even though players change year over year in college football, you're essentially just trying to quantify talent on both sides of the ball. And once you have that number, then you can like, you know, kind of compare the the Delta between the two, the between the two teams of talent. And you just do that for every matchup that you're, you're trying to predict.
0: So the talent number historically doesn't matter that people are changing. That team in 2017 was a number, let's call it X, yep. and in 2019, like let's say Georgia is the most similar to Team X, and you see how those lines changes. That kind of what I'm getting at.
1: Yes, and the model just learns based on all that historical data to then say what is the most likely thing that I can guess this is going to happen based on past, and sometimes it's right and sometimes it's wrong.
0: Now. Does that help you with the closing line? Are you looking at line movements with that? Or are you looking at more on which team wins in those matchups and how much by?
1: Yeah. So sometimes it does help me understand where the line is going to go. So, you know, for example, we're going to talk about this in the future, but, you know, I, I made a bet on Marshall at two and a half um, when they were playing Louisiana Tech and my, I don't, I don't have it pulled up, but my, my model really liked Marshall just in that spot period. Long story short, there was some stuff that ended up happening where some Louisiana Tech starters ended up getting suspended. So, you know, there were some outstanding circumstances that would have happened. But I would have bet even if they hadn't gotten suspended, that line would have gone in my favor just because there's some other people who are analytically focused and who are sharp bettors that likely may have seen the similar line and put a bunch of money down and kind of moved that up to minus Marshall minus two and a half to three to minus three and a half or minus four, et cetera.
0: So that was an example of your best improvement on the closing line. What do you got for worse? Because it's got to go both ways, right?
1: Yeah. So on that best, I had about a 24% uh, closing line value. And like I beat the closing line by about 24% with my calculation. That was Marshall against Louisiana Tech. And again, because of the player suspensions, hugely helps me. Um, I got in early and then the susp- suspensions happened later in the week. For the second one, I have no idea And I I should go look it up about why this was such a bad miss. But my model liked Missouri over Tennessee. And I had taken um, Missouri at minus four. And I think this game closed either Missouri as only a slight favorite or even Tennessee as a favorite to win the game. And my model was just so ass backwards in that. And if I remember correctly, Tennessee ended up winning that game pretty handily. And my bet there was just totally off. And that's a really good example of I was a minus 23% uh, closing line value. That something was just really not good there and uh, didn't turn out well for me.
0: Now, I got a question for you here because we've discussed on this podcast a few different times about hedging. Now, is it a benefit or would it even make sense for, a you know, let's call it a uh, amateur gambler to look at the lines as soon as they come out, put a bet down, and then if there's giant swings in that line to then hedge my bet. Does that make sense? Or am I going to be just essentially breaking even, losing? What what is there any, any merit to that?
1: Yeah. To me, that would be really hard to do because it's going to be really hard for you to identify which lines are going to move in your favor and essentially try to get a middle Um, It's probably not hedging. It's more like middling. So if we talk about like let's say a line opens as Wake Forest minus six and a half and you bet Wake Forest and then the line drifts up to Wake Forest minus seven and a half. Maybe you want to come down on the other side of getting NC State plus seven and a half so that if that game ends of Wake Forest winning by seven – you win both your bets. It's called middling. But it's going to be really hard for you to identify which lines are moving the right way because it's just so crazy to me. So to me, that long-term strategy is going to be very much losing you money, and I would not recommend it. Not a good time.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Thank you for that. Um, I do want to go into this a little more detail because I'm very fascinated by this closing line value. There's really no way you can predict that change, right? But you just got, it's almost like catching a giant wave. You got to ride it when you get it, right?
1: I would love to figure out a way to protect it. Sorry, predict it. But I have no idea how to do that now. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I just want to stress this point for the listeners that it is very valuable because I'm looking at the information here. So break it down for the listeners when you had a positive closing line value, negative and neutral.
1: Yeah, I thought this was absolutely fascinating. So again, I made uh, about 120 bets last year. In the bets that I made where I had positive closing line value, there was about 28 of those. My accuracy was much better, and my accuracy for those bets was about 71%. So that meant I I had 28 bets down where I had positive closing line value. I won 20 of them, and I lost 8
0: And is there any, uh, I was going to say, is there any distribution here in terms of like how big that line change was, or is it just any general positive impact?
1: Yeah. I mean, I could totally go back and get that, but this is just purely any positive impact. So it could be like 0.1%. It could be 23%. doesn't matter. It's just positive. Now for the negative closing line value, um, I did much worse than the positive, but still Okay. Um, I had 19 wins, 14 losses for about 58% accuracy. So again, not too bad in the long term, um, but, but not you know, not great in general. And then there were a bunch of bets uh, that I made that were just, you know, that met the closing line that was essentially equal. And those I did not great. There was only 12 of those bets. I won five. I lost seven for about 42% accuracy.
0: That is eye-opening.
1: So to me, this is just absolutely fascinating. If I could identify the bets where I know that I'm, you know, where I think I'm going to be getting a positive cl- closing line value, that I feel like I'm just timing it well, it's going to be even better for me. But that's just so hard to do, and I don't know if anyone's figured that out yet.
0: I think what we need to do is interview some sharp gamblers and just get picked their brain. Let's see what we they're need, saying.
1: We need to get up on Twitter and see if we can send some DMs and get some folks on here to help us pick through this and see if I can help me, uh, freaking figure this out for next year.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's be honest. One of our highest, actually, I think our highest listened episode was with Barry horse, our interview, and he was all over this kind of stuff. He's a sharp better. So maybe we need to get some more people on and see what's going on out there. Yeah. Um, my next question. So these are obviously just the bets you made on these games. Now we dabbled, put our foot in the futures market, yeah. Is there any correlation at all to the futures market with this or is this just – is futures just a pure crapshoot?
1: Not a crapshoot. Um, so my model, the intent of the model was to do regular season matchup, like game spread betting, right? So a model, if you have the intent of model of trying to predict longer term – outcome of how likely is the team to be undefeated, you could certainly set something up, but that wasn't the purpose of the, the model that I used here. So for me, I more made my features bets as based on human intuition and tracking them on a weekly basis to see what kind of numbers uh, I would be getting and how that changed over time. Um, and I didn't really use my model much in terms of trying to position myself there.
0: Okay. That makes sense because uh, we we hit a couple of uh, futures. I was way off on a few couple of futures, so yeah. it just to me seems like there's no rhyme or reason to those. But obviously, people make money on those.
1: Yeah, and I really like how Barry Hurst put it in his podcast of that. He just sees it as like a different way to position yourself across the season, um, and by taking up some of those positions, you can lead you to other behavior of making more advantageous bets. But to me, it's still something that I haven't totally figured out, as well as you know I'm still trying to focus on this weekly stuff. Okay. That's interesting. So can uh, we can we transition go and go from the woe is me of week zero to seven, to the pound my chest, while things are going well in weeks eight through fifteen?
0: Yeah, because it's a it's an a f- incredible swing. So
1: hit us with that. You
0: got the bad. You got was what do you call the first couple weeks actually ugly? <laughs> it was ugly. I think thirty. It was ugly. What was it? What thirty one percent? I'll call that ugly. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah. All right, be <laughs> good.
1: Okay, so in weeks eight through 15, after I updated my model to include spread, essentially redid everything, retrained a model, brought it back, started going again. Um, My model was about 60 percent accurate. I made 70 73 bets. I was um, I bet in those 73 bets, I bet about 97 units. So for some bets, I was doing more than one unit. Um, Not I didn't do more than two. And my my profit was that I was up about 20 and a half units. So meaning at the end of the season, after my down 17 and up 20 and a half, I was up a mere three and a half units. Um, to put the second half in, in perspective, just to go back for a second, again, if we go back to a $1,000 bankroll, I would have been up $409. So again, if I had used that 1000 I would have finished the season up basically 68 dollars which would have translated to those three and a half units so to me it was a tale of two halves i come roaring back to uh positivity in the second half but boy that first half was really uh, a body blow
0: and let me remind you sir up is up when it comes to gambling okay i don't care if you're up this is like this is fast and furious okay this is vin diesel saying i don't care if you win by an inch or a mile winning is winning ask any racer any real racer it don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. And that's the same thing with, with gambling. You got points. You're up. You ended the season up. But you were on a heater, my friend. So let me ask you this. When you started to see that the model has turned and you're starting to crank out winners, did you increase your unit bets? No. Didn't, I didn't. trust
1: your own model? I didn't. No. Oh, come on. After the body blows early in the season, I really committed to keeping everything at the same unit size uh, because it was really getting tough for me to continue doing that early on. I thought about decreasing my unit size after I was losing a bunch of money. Um, But in the second half of the season, even though I was up and I was coming roaring back, I chose not to increase at all because I was really just comfortable keeping it at the 2% of my initial bankroll. Um, so to me that felt good and that's something I'll probably do again next year of just keeping it absolutely c- consistent.
0: Ah, uh, see, this is where we have fundamental differences. <laughs> You're riding the heater, man. You got to put the foot
1: on the fucking pedal. <laughs> no, I see it as a grind. It's like, you don't really know. So you just got to keep it consistent.
0: You're like uh knish and rounders just grinding it out there, man. It's fucking great. <laughs>
1: that's He's a great Twitter follow too. There's a guy named Joey Knish who, uh, Puts out a bunch of good info. I took a risk, I took a risk. You, you see all the angles, you never have the fucking stones to play one. Stones?
0: You little punk. I'm not playing for the thrill of fucking victory here.
1: I owe rent, alimony, child support. I play for money. My kids eat. I got stones enough not to chase cards, actions, or fucking pipe dreams of winning the World Series on ESPN. You want me to call some people? Try to buy you some time, I will. Place to stay or the truck, no problem. But about the money, I got to do this. I got to say no.
0: Um, okay, so was there one week or one bet that you looked at that you were like, this is my chance to cash in, or were you just stuck with your steady Eddie approach and just kept going?
1: Yeah, I did a bunch of grinding. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head that there was one that really stands out. I don't know why, but there was a one that stands out to me. UVA was playing Duke, and my model really liked UVA. Um, I'll pull it up right now just so I can give actual numbers. But I, um, that was one that just stands out as being really good, and what ended up happening is UVA um, ended up absolutely crushing Duke. So if I look, UVA was favored uh, minus 3.5, and, and I locked in at minus 105. And it looks like that line closed at minus 109, so I got some positive closing line value. And if I remember the game correctly, I think Virginia ended up winning that game by 30 points, 35 points. Like they just absolutely routed them. And to me, that was a really fun one that stood out that uh, things were starting to click in the second half of the season.
0: All right. So that was your first year doing spreads. Obviously, it's the second year doing models. Give us your biggest takeaway from this year. And then let's get some expectations for next year. Are you going to make any changes to your model? And if so, what are you going to do?
1: Yeah, biggest takeaway first. So data matters. Like the features that you are including in your model and the quality of those features are critical to your results. So if you're going to put freaking garbage in, if, if your input is not going to be that accurate, you can expect garbage out. And to me, the really aha moment of, You know, if I'm not, if I wasn't using the spread, the opening line spread that's available for all these historical games, that's like doing a total disservice to myself. So um, that was huge for me, and something I'll continue to do. Now, they're getting to the second question. I think there's a ton of improvements I can do to the model, and which I'm already starting to work on. I'm in the lab. I'm starting to crank away. One of the ones I'm most excited about is very similar to spread that. In the past I did not use Vegas opening line total for the game and I think that's actually going to help me. So let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. You remember when Texas and Oklahoma were playing and I think their total was something like 79 points. Yep. So the total is the number of points that Vegas expects both teams to score together and it's like added together. So if if Oklahoma was, you know, or Texas was 35 and uh, Oklahoma was 34, no 44. That would add together to 79. So like kind of knowing if Vegas is expecting a high scoring game or a low scoring game would be one of the things that I think my model would find valuable in trying to predict the final score. And then the spread of what we think the two differential scores is going to be.
0: Okay, and does that help you at all with, the, uh, with betting the over-under, or is that just more to help you with uh, seeing where the spread's going to go?
1: Yeah, so I'm thinking that I will do multiple models that will focus either on the over-under for the total as well as the spread, um, and I'll have a little bit of everything. So I actually see my betting expand next year because then I'll be able to do just beyond spread that I'll also be able to do some to over-unders and really identify what I think is going to be the most valuable.
0: I like that because we started dabbling with the overrunners in the playoffs for the NFL. So it just opens up a whole nother Avenue for us to discuss.
1: It does. I'm going to be excited to get into that more for sure.
0: Baby. Um, Okay. Well, any final thoughts on the
1: model? Uh, One last thing, just as a high level, I bet on 54 different teams and three teams. I bet on three times. Totally random. I bet on Buffalo, Marshall, and louisiana lafayette three (laughs) times those are my big ones i'm not sure what my model saw as being uh, more valuable on those but uh yeah that's how it ended all right i
0: like it my friend when we get in the weeds here and discuss the model start betting on these random games i absolutely love it. it's my favorite part of the season
1: (laughs) it's pretty epic yeah it's been fun to uh to learn a lot i'm glad i came back from that early season woes and i'm excited to get back into it next year
0: all right. So what I learned from that is I need to jump out to a big lead early and just hope <laughs> to cling on to it. That, that's my strategy.
1: <laughs> I either one can't let you jump out to that big lead or two need to like contain that wisdom and include it in the model somehow. So I do much better than what I've done previously early in the season.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, we'll see. You know, preseason starts now. There is no offseason for football. So you just got to be in the lab. You got to get ready. And that's that. Love it. Can't wait. So a few housekeeping notes here, guys. I know uh, we got Super Bowl coming up. We're going to do some prop bets. We're going to discuss uh, and make our picks for the Super Bowl. So that will be next week's episode. Uh, and then first week of February, we're going to talk Oscars, man. We love doing the Oscars, especially me.
1: <laughs> I, I can't wait to bring you some odds and forced conversation and see what you're what you would pick and where you land. I sure hope you're starting to do all the movie screenings now so you can give us the good, the bad, the ugly.
0: Oh, I'm doing it. We're going to bring our insider Coulter on because he's into this as well. Uh, Real quick, a little teaser. I'm in a bad place here because there is a dark horse movie called Parasite out there, and it's getting a a lot of buzz, but it's a little, uh, I wouldn't call it a horror movie, but it's got a little (laughs) of the elements that I just don't fuck with. But I feel like I owe it to my Oscar love to watch this movie. So I'm in a little bit of a pickle there. Uh, But then we are buckle up. It's going to be tough. Uh, but then we're probably going to take a little hiatus for the rest of, uh, February and then maybe ramp it back up a little bit for March Madness. So just want to put that out there for the listeners air, Mr. Model. This was very informative. I learned a lot. I hope the listeners did too, man.
1: Thank you for keeping me accountable and letting me share the good, the bad, the ugly. And I really hope next year is only good
0: absolutely so that's it for this episode of double down trent we'll see everybody next week baby look at me look at me your money and you know what else you're a big winner tonight i want to leave you're a big winner i'm gonna ask you a simple question i want you to listen to me who's the big winner here tonight at the casino huh Mikey, that's you. Mikey's the big winner. Mikey wins. It All right, fine. I'm an asshole, but you know what? You're the big winner tonight, Mikey. You're the big winner in more ways than one.